It seems like climate change is dominating like half the headlines we see in the news today. World leaders are tightening environmental policies and businesses are racing one another towards having more sustainable practices. But are these businesses doing enough? What is it like to run a business in the fashion industry? An industry that has been criticized quite a few times on this show. How are fashion companies upping their game from the environmentalist perspective? This is Green Me. Today we have a guest, Dr. Aram Ilias, a dermatologist and founder of Amber Noon. Amber Noon is a sun protective clothing brand that uses UPFs, or ultraviolet protection factors, in their textiles. She hopes to raise consumer awareness on the importance of UV protection, and she hopes for sun protective clothing to reduce the body area needed to apply sunscreen, another form of UV protection that has been found to have very harsh environmental consequences. So I started Amber Noon, my sun protective clothing brand based quite primarily on concerns about sunscreens, chemicals in them, how they affect our body, and looking for safer, better ways to protect our skin from harmful UV rays. Okay, great. Um, so when you started your clothing company, what types of environmental steps did you have to take for your business to be like legal? So in terms of legal, they're shockingly not enough. <laughs> you know, you really should hope that there would be a lot more challenges or a lot of obstacles in the way. Just trying to make sure that as starting off a, a stylish fashion brand, that there was some sort of regulation on the types of textiles or other things. However, sun protective textiles are not actually regulated by the FDA. They are regulated by the FTC, which regulates marketing claims, just so that we do have to get the textiles and the clothing items tested, put through UV protective testing, where they actually have to be washed, 40, washed and laundered 40 times, and then subjugated to UV exposure before and after to see if it retains its UV protection through 40 washes. Most textiles, there are most brands that are sort of uh, just regular brands that don't have any claims of that nature. I believe they only have to go through seven washes, which does contribute to that fast fashion trend where clothing doesn't have to be durable. You know, it, if as long as it goes through four wash, seven washes, then you're good. And that's a little concerning also. Have you ever faced pressure from consumers for your company to be more sustainable? Or do you think there's more work to be done in that field? You know, from consumers, the hard part is there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, you know, they, yes, when it comes to things like polyester, for example, there is an understanding there that the microfibers from polyester can get into the water supply. However, there is a sort of a, a, a tendency, I guess my best example would be bamboo. You know, bamboo is a uh, something that people will often reference as sun protective naturally and it's eco-friendly. But the problem with it is bamboo itself is eco-friendly and can have UV protective properties, but the production process is far from eco-friendly. So we end up dealing with all these marketing claims from other sort of brands or other sorts of industries that may be misunderstood by consumers. So we really have a lot of education to do in that arena too. Even with polyester, you know, we definitely, we, polyester has a lot of natural UV protective qualities and also even flame retardant properties, which is kind of nice, but it is true when you wash it, we worry about microplastics, microfibers that, that do accumulate. 
but there are ways around these things with different types of washing techniques or guppy bags, for example, where you can wash your product within the bag to not release it into the water supply. So some of it is just trying to create sort of a question and answer format where people actually know what they're getting for their money. Yeah. So on the topic of misinformation between consumers and brands, what types of changes do you think that the industry could make in like the business sector to be more transparent with consumers? Actually, I think the most important one you could make is really to say that right now, when you buy a product, a clothing item, you see compositions, you'll see, you know, 90% polyester, 10% spandex or 100% cotton, but you have no idea what went into the process. You don't know what chemicals could have been impregnated into those clothing items, not only through UV protection, but also for coloration, processing, other things that the, the garment goes through that I feel like not knowing that information can be a little frustrating even aside from UV protection, for years we've actually, as a dermatologist, we see patients that get rashes from clothing items that are wrinkle resistant, for example, because they often treat those textiles with formaldehyde or formaldehyde releasing agents. And people get rashes from these types of products. And you worry that not enough, not enough people know what makes their product wrinkle resistant. They just wear it because it sounds great and it's functionally practical but there's nothing on the label that actually tells you what happened to that garment. So we're left to kind of figure it out or trying to figure it out through marketing claims. Like I'll say, I can't tell you what's in your product, but if it made a claim that says wrinkle resistant, there's a good chance it's in there, but that doesn't seem reasonable in my opinion. I feel like we should be able to do much better and actually have companies say, this is what went into the process of making this textile. Yeah. But I think one of the issues with that is like when they explain the process, then you realize like how bad the process actually is. And then that just goes into the whole issue of companies like keeping information disclosed about where their products come from and how they're produced because they don't like want people to know. Oh, you're absolutely right. But you know, it's already on your products when you buy a moisturizer or a cleanser. There's plenty of chemical names on there that you have no idea what they mean or what they do. Quite frankly, a lot of those chemicals are not that different um, in terms of what's used in moisturizers, cleansers versus um, in some, some of the textiles. Even some of the chemicals they impregnate uh, sun protective clothing with are the same ones that they use in sunscreens, for example. Um, the challenge with it is it washes out and that's the problem is it ends up in the water supply as well too. So that's where we really feel like, gosh, if you actually knew what was in your clothing, at least you could make a better judgment call for yourself. Yeah, that's great. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your work with sunscreen and like why those chemicals in sunscreen are bad for the environment? Yeah, that's always a tricky one because a little bit of the jury is out on some of those things. Currently, the FDA has only two ingredients listed as generally recognized as safe and effective, GRASE, which are zinc and titanium. Those are the physical sunscreens that when you apply them to your skin, they block UV and are not thought to be absorbed to any significant effect into your bloodstream. They do wash off into the water supply, which is why you know we tell people to reapply every couple of hours if you're sweating or swimming, or even 40 to 80 minutes, depending on the product that you're using. The thought with some of those ingredients, so not just zinc or titanium, but some of the chemical sunscreen ingredients, is that once they end up in the water supply, they can affect aquatic life. 
It could be through a couple of ways. One could be that it creates a layer on the surface of the water to block UV or sunlight from penetrating through to impact or help aquatic life in terms of algae and sea moss and other things, but also potentially coral reef that is out there. There's been um, sunscreen bans in certain parts of the world, even along the Florida Keys and in Hawaii, with the worry that chemical sunscreens could be accumulating in the water and actually impacting the coral in those areas. So we know that there's something going on. I don't think we know the entire picture, but we do know that every single waterway in this world has had detectable, measurable quantities of sunscreen in them. So we know people are using some sunscreen. Uh, the problem is, is we don't know if it's just helping them or hurting something else along the way. So the thought is if you could use clothing that we know can protect your skin effectively that cuts down on how much chemical or physical sunscreen you even have to use product wise, it could reduce the environmental load of those chemicals in the waterway. Yeah. So um, why don't we just go into a different topic? So you own a clothing business and it's 2021. How does your company compete with all of these fast fashion brands like H&M and Zara? that are producing clothes rapidly and they're cheap? You know, cost point is the hardest thing to compete with because the reality is, is that when you can buy a t-shirt that's three to five dollars versus one that sure it has, you know, UV protection in it and it's 30 to 40 dollars, people will still tend to go with the cheapest option. And it's a very difficult thing to, to compete with because price usually dictates quite a bit. There are definitely plenty of informed consumers out there that look for more out of their money or recognize that there's other impacts that their money has. Uh, but I can't say everyone's like that. I try to at least use some cost point analyses, like for example, saying, well, you know, if you are wearing a UV protective shirt, for example, um, then technically the amount of sunscreen that you need to use drops substantially. We actually recommend using a shot glass full of sunscreen every day, which is one ounce. Most sunscreen bottles are about three to four ounces, and they usually cost about 10 to $15. So if you think about it, if you actually were wearing sunscreen the way we recommend, you should be going through a bottle or two of sunscreen every week or two, really. And that's a lot of money that adds up too. So if you could compare that maybe you're saving money on sunscreen and you put it into your clothing, it's one thing. But in the end, I don't think consumers look at it that broadly. I think that we are really stuck in a category where we have to focus on the informed consumers and hopefully have the industry even start to consider the fact that not considering these, these benefits that your textiles could offer is going to have significant impact down the road. My most important example there is children's clothing. When we actually tested broadly children's clothing from different discount stores and other places, we were shocked to find that the sun protective quality of a lot of children's t-shirts is only a two or a three, which means these kids are out on the playground, they're in the middle of the day at the beach or otherwise, they think that their skin is protected from UV, but it's not really technically. Um, they may not get a harsh burn, but they're getting chronic UV damage, which we have to pay for down the road in terms of skin cancers and premature aging. And so we worry that if we don't start to pay more attention to especially children's clothing, because that tends to, we don't necessarily call it fast fashion, but it's definitely cheaper, lower, lower quality, it's meant to be wear and tear, kind of toss it out kind of stuff. I definitely worry that the kids are the ones that actually pay the price down the road. 
That, that's really interesting. I'm pretty sure we covered everything. If there's anything else that you'd like to say to the podcast listeners out there about the importance of fashion being environmentally sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I think of it as you may not realize it, but throughout the day and night, the vast majority of your body surface area is exposed to some sort of textile, whether it be your clothing, your bed sheets, your comforter, your upholstery of your, your couches and other things. So we really should be paying more attention to the textile industry, not only in the way that it affects the environment, the way that it affects our health and other aspects of it. And I don't think we think that much about it when we probably ought to. This actually came up um, in the 1940s and 50s. There was actually some federal legislation passed where pajamas for kids had to be impregnated with um, flame retardants because there was an issue where pajamas would get caught on an open flame, for example, and be a high risk to the child. It was a well-intentioned policy, but what they found out in the 70s is what they were treating the pajamas with actually was carcinogenic and mutagenic to the DNA of, of those kids, and it ran the risk of other health disorders. So the, the policy is still out there, but if you notice, most pajamas for kids are tightly fitted or made of polyester, because that's the only way around that policy is to ensure that at least there's no loose hanging fabric or that it's made of something that's naturally flame retardant. So we find out sometimes after the fact that there's a challenge with some of the chemicals we impregnate our textiles with, that maybe we should be ahead of the game and not wait 30 to 40 years to find out the hard way that there's a problem here. Yeah, thank you so much. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you for your time and for being on my podcast. Oh, it was great, Layla. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it seems like we have a long way to go on improving the textile industry. But the first step, as always, is keeping the public informed and emphasizing the importance of what we wear. I hope you learned something new. Thanks for listening in on this episode of Green Me.